His intense gaze tracked over what he could see of my face. And even with the veil, I felt unbearably exposed when he looked at me like he did then. I hate this. Hate what? I asked, confused. Hawk didn't respond immediately. I hate talking to the veil. Oh, understanding rippled through me as I reached up and touched the length that hid my hair. I imagine most people don't enjoy it. I can't imagine you do. I don't, I admitted, and then glanced around the room as if I expected Priestess Amelia to be hiding somewhere. I mean, I'd prefer if people were able to see me. He tilted his head to the side. What does it feel like? Air hitched in my throat. No one, no one had ever asked me that before. And while I had a lot of thoughts and feelings about the veil, I wasn't sure how to put them into words, even though I trusted Hawk. Some things once spoken were given a life of their own. I walked to one of the chairs and sat on the edge as I tried to figure out what to say. Suddenly my brain sort of spit out the only thing that came to mind. It feels suffocating. Hawk drew closer. Then why do you wear it? I didn't realize I had a choice. I looked up at him. You have a choice now. He knelt in front of me. It's just you and me, walls, and a pathetically inadequate supply of furniture. <laughs> my lips twitched. I'm going to keep that in a pathetically inadequate supply of furniture. Welcome back. We are in bed with books. Today, you'll be joining me, Melissa. And Bethany. As we talk about Jennifer Armentrout's book, From Blood and Ash. Yes, the first one. Yes, so the first one in what at this current moment is a trilogy. I believe it's going to be longer. I'll double check that. My heart says it'll be longer. <laughs> Passage that you heard at the very beginning of this episode from chapter 19. We wanted to start out this episode with that passage to really get that point going, get that across. It sums up Poppy's dilemma in a really succinct way. Yes. And Hawk's role. Yes, definitely Hawk's role. Yeah. yeah. I love that he's kneeling in front of her during that. Like, it's like a, like his position is a position of like supplication. Mm -hmm. Like he's not trying to overpower her in this part. He's trying to just show her. So from this point on, spoilers. Spoilers. The way that we're kind of structuring this, since this is our first like real bookish episode is we've got kind of topics that we've drawn out from our readings of this and we've narrowed it down to. And so we're just going to kind of go through those topics. So if we jump around the plot itself, please don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> we're just here to have a, a good discussion. I think the first thing we want to address is Armin Trout's writing. Yeah. Uh, her writing style, but also like the way she brings the characters out she's has a really subtle way of making the character's intentions known through dialogue through physicality well I think one interesting thing is that this whole book is all from Poppy's point of view it's very like stream of consciousness like we see we're reading her thought process as she's thinking it but we still get just as much insight into the other characters like Poppy we're going to kind of talk about this later but like Poppy is kind of not self-aware mm -hmm. but she's not stupid because you can see how much she analyzes everyone else's actions around her yeah she's very aware of her surroundings she's just not very aware of herself and I think that's a really interesting way to keep it this one point of view while still giving us like a well-rounded story right and I think like I think you put it really well when you said that just because it's from her point of view doesn't mean you lack any kind of insight from other characters because of the way the spark happens between Poppy and the char other character. Like you can see... With her gift, do you mean? Yeah. Well, so she has magical magical gifts um, yeah. where she can sense someone's emotions through sm 
smell and taste is it just taste I can't remember it's it's mostly taste but I mean honestly smell and taste are so intertwined that sometimes her explanations are like a little mixed which I also like I think but it started out as pain so -hmm. the very beginning she could only feel pain but then like a little while in she could start to feel other ones yeah sorry pain from others and so then she could start to like feel and identify other emotions as well And so that's kind of when she realizes that something's up, obviously. I feel like that also adds added pressure to her because she's like, my gift is morphing and I don't even know that I want this gift. I don't know that I want the pressure that comes with this gift and there's suddenly more. Mm. When I first opened this book, it really just captured me immediately because- It's a really strong opening scene. It is, yeah. If she's in like a, she's in the red <laughs> girl, which is like a, a brothel, essentially. She's the maiden who's supposed to be like completely pure and untouched and unlook, you know, no one can look at her. And uh, so she goes there out of curiosity. This is her first look into like the forbidden for her. So you <laughs> already know she's curious. You know, she's not completely sold on this life of being like this religious figure untouchable thing that so put upon her like she's curious to explore and where does that exploring happen in desire she wants to kind of like yes else is out there I also feel like by starting it that way like you don't just one day wake up and think I don't like this let's go to a brothel like you kind of ease into it like it's established from the beginning then that she definitely doesn't follow the yeah, rules yeah. when it comes to being the maiden. It doesn't mean she's explicitly breaking them. Like she doesn't always get caught breaking them. But there's been like a gateway into this beginning of the story. Right. And this maiden motif was very much like reminiscent of, to me, of like A Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood mm-hmm. because of the way that it's very like in her head. She's working things out. She's like very stream of consciousness. And so I feel like that writing style I always really loved is really fun to watch her like make those shifts and like perspectives through her interactions with people. And no, 100%. Like the opening scene really probably only takes place over, I'm going to say like time wise, max an hour. Mm-hmm. Like that's being generous. And she's managed to squeeze in like six chapters pretty much. And her chapters are not short. Like it's not like a short six chapters. It's like a good chunk of the uh, the beginning of the book. But it never feels drawn out because from the very beginning, we're learning how to read as Poppy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, what did you think about that uh, first uh, scene with uh, Hot there? <gasps> I thought that it was the best thing that I had read in years (laughs) um I wish I was exaggerating like I got so happy and that's I'm not being euphemistic like I just genuinely like I got happy reading that scene she's introduced to our love interest of the book Hawk when she tries to run off and not be caught by one of her like personal guards who's shown up and so she goes and hides in what she believes to be an empty room which turns out to be occupied by the hottest new knight at this palace. And he doesn't recognize her because nobody can see the maiden's face. She's veiled all the time because sexism, I guess. When he starts coming on to her, she does not back down. And I was so, so into that. Like, she's clearly nervous. She's talking about, like, how she just does not know what's happening in her body because she's never, I mean, God, she's like 18 and she's never been touched. Not just sexually but she could probably count the number of times she'd been touched in the last like five years on a single hand because people just aren't allowed to um and so this hot hot night just starts doing beautiful things to her they do not have sex and it was the bane of my existence then because the build-up in those scenes in every scene before they have sex near the end which I'm sorry to spoil that one too. They don't have sex until very near the end of the book. All of the sexual interactions that I have leading up to that are so good. They really They're are. almost better than the sex scenes. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I prefer the ones before sex. Yeah. And like across the board in most books, like if it's done well, it's way better than the actual like. Because it leaves. foreplay. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, it leaves it up to you, I guess. Like <laughs> when you read about the climax of it, it's just not as fun. It somehow feels like what I imagine blue balls would feel like. Yeah. But it was a great intro scene for him. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I was a big fan, big fan. But this is a part of a larger arc that she's going through, which is her discovery of her own sexuality, which I really enjoy reading about. Like, part of me wishes that I had a book like this when I was younger. I know I wouldn't have been able to handle it. I would have closed it and just, like, never spoke of it again. Yeah, hit it under my bed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, like hit it with like my non-existent porn stash like it would have been my porn stash (laughs) but her exploration of her sexuality is like so inherently hot tied into her breaking down of the maiden identity and acceptance of her own actual identity yeah so hawk essentially enters the picture that's not the last we see of him in that brothel eventually he becomes like the knight that protects her and one of two knights that protects right, her. One of, one of two knights that protects her. I think the passage that we read was uh, one of the first intimate reactions between the two because they yeah. don't, they're not really able to talk very much at first. Like, I feel like it was very much like a slow burn there for a minute before he like, they actually like started asking each other questions. And that was one of the first like interactions was like, Cause it was after like the initiation of the knighthood with like yeah. Lord. And then they're like walking away and he's like, I hate the veil. Like, I just thought it's- it was like a, it was like a funk, like, cause they kind of hang out for a bit. Like, I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, no, it, It's early on. It's definitely like she's, cause she spends a few days worried that he's going to recognize her. Right. Because she had somehow convinced herself that like he had seen her face and not recognized her, which granted when they met at the Pearl, right. she was wearing like one of those like half dominoes, it called like half masks. Right. So she had just convinced herself that he didn't know who she was. So she keeps wearing the veil in hopes that like he won't recognize her, which is not a good long term plan. Like you can't yeah. just constantly wear this veil in front of the person. Well, and then there was like a, there was like a specific order where like the Lord or whatever, I forget his name, was like, or the, it was the lady. What's her name? Yeah. Lady and Lord Tierman. Okay. So lady and Lord Tierman, they're all in this room with her and Hawk. And I think Victor is there and Tawny maybe. Yeah. Tawny, I think, cause she's her lady maid. Lady's maid. Lady's maid. Yeah. Um, they're all in the room as like the initiation of like the new night or whatever. And like, I remember it was Lady Chairman that was like, he will be the one of the only people who can see without your mask. And I was like, okay, like, here we go. Like, yeah. Like, of course, like what a convenient. Let's just build up. For a romance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you have uh, asshole Lord, Lord Tierman, who decides to make a snide comment about her because she's got those scars on her face from the attack when she was younger. And then Hawk, oh, Hawk says something along the lines of like, I think both halves of her face are beautiful. And I die inside because <laughs> I'll never know a love like that. <laughs> <laughs> But no, like her, like the veil becomes a very literal representation of like the metaphor, I guess. Like it becomes like a a literal manifestation of what she's going through. And then kind of like this like metaphoric symbol of what she's dealing with Mm -hmm. because she, and we'll, again, we'll talk on this a little bit extra later as well. Like the book is really trauma informed. And so she's like leans more into the maiden or like I call it like maiden mode. She leans more into maiden mode when she's nervous or when she's uncomfortable because it's how she knows how to cope with her problems because most of her problems have been related to being the maiden. And so then jumping back to the passage, the reason she, another reason that she's refusing to take off this mask is because 
she's so nervous around Hawk. It's yeah, like he's this kind of barrier between them that she's imposing. First of all, she thinks he's very intriguing from the get-go. Like he Yeah. And he says the same he says literally the same thing about her. Yeah, exactly. Like later later on when they like connect about that. But like in her head like you're what like she's very very interested in him from the get from the beginning, but he's also unpredictable because he's of course asking about how she feels about things and behaving. Yeah, his behavior is so different from everyone else's behavior. Yeah. She's the only one that has actually seen her as more than a maiden. He mm-hmm. sees her as like a person. And so that's a good way for her to kind of keep that barrier, right? Of like, yeah, I don't want him to see who I truly am yet. Not until she, she doesn't even know who she is. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and I think it's safe to say that like Hawk is the catalyst for. No, that's not true because she's the one that stepped in the red pearl. Obviously, the the catalyst was her, but he was the one that like really motioned it forward because he, she he was a bit of an enabler. Enabler, and she sought, but she sought him out because she knew his. She was attracted to this kind of essence about him that was like, "I'm going to get like it out of you," kind of thing. Yeah. Um, who you are, you know, and so and he actually wanted it. Yeah, exactly. She, like wanted, she wanted it to come out. And exactly. so like he was giving her this environment where she felt safe to do so. Right. And so he would ask the right questions mm-hmm. that she needed to ask herself, that she needed to yeah. articulate. Definitely. I think we could jump into talking about Victor then. So, so Victor is like the longest serving guard for her, personal guard. And so he's old enough to be her dad and has kind of grown up to be that father figure for her in as much as you can be when you're trying to father a mythologized religious figure. There's a lot of conflict between Victor and Hawk, not necessarily like he never doubts that Hawk would protect her. He doesn't even hesitate to like send her with Hawk when there's danger. Yeah, he seems to be really supportive of Hawk when it's in a protecting kind of... Yeah, like in a protective manner. He fully recognizes Hawk's ability to do the job that needs to be done. But on the other hand, he's very conscious of the fact that having this man who's very attractive and who looks to be about the same age as her guarding her has raised a few problems. Namely, the very obvious sexual tension between them a lot. <laughs> yes, we were kind of talking about Victor as like this father figure, but then we realized that he fell short in that holy because how can you be a father figure if you're parenting or protecting or like guiding someone who has no life of their own that is who, like a product of this myth yeah mytholo- mythologized <laughs> I said that right a religious symbol like you can't and I guess we haven't really talked about like where the whole conspiracy conspiracy or like plot of like where she goes or supposed to go like and how little we know about that but like he seems to not be able to engage with her on a more personal level because there is no after for her like yeah sending her you know he has no control over it. She has no control over it. And so there is that kind of sense of, because I think about like a fatherly duty of just being like, okay, and then you send them off to like mm-hmm. then the next man. And yeah. so here comes Hawk. And it's like, there's an issue because- he does, He's not, not ready to send her off yet. And that's not where she's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And he's never actually had that in his mind, has never been able to like go there with his relationship with Poppy. Yeah. Um, And I think he, like we talk about her not thinking that far in the future because of like survival and everything. And it kind of feels the same for him. Like he's trying not to think that far in advance. He's trying to just keep her alive now. So he like teaches her how to defend herself hand to hand. He supports her emotionally when Tierman, when Lord Tierman like abuses her. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like the the limits that he's able to go to while also staying in her life. Like as much as I would have loved to see him barge in during 
Tierman like hitting her with the cane if he were to do that he wouldn't be in her life anymore like there's this line that he's having to tout to even maintain his position with her and that was really frustrating because you can see how much it bothers him that he can't do those things he gifts her a weapon yeah the dagger the dagger and that becomes <laughs> that becomes a source of comfort. comfort and it stays with her yeah the books thus far as like a way for her to protect herself and mm-hmm. that is also a way that it is projected at hawk because she's also like constantly stabbing him okay hold on is that in- she loves stabbing him it's is great that, is that in book two no she stabs him in book one okay <laughs> that's how she like tried to escape oh god i remember that and then they like went and had like blood sex yeah they did it was like shortly after she found out who he really was which spoiler alert he is the dark one the one that's like rumored to be trying to return to reclaim his parents throne and so she takes this dagger by this point uh i hate to say this by this point victor's already dead so she has the dagger as the only living part of him Mm -hmm. and she just like jams it straight into his chest straight into his heart and runs and so you have like this symbol now of victor this which she relates to victor a lot like she refuses to lose this knife because it is victor's only gift that she was able to get from him so it's almost like victor's there protecting her when she needed it which like hawk doesn't even die castile doesn't even die so like it's fine. He was fine. He got better. <laughs> got better. They fucked it out. It was fine. Yeah. He's, his presence is still there when she needs it. Mm-hmm. Because they were close enough that, like, even after his death, she's very conscious of, like, what would Victor want me to do? What would Victor be doing right now? Not always to make her own decisions, but she's thinking about, well, if Victor were here, he would have done it differently. And so he's still this like specter for her yeah. because he was uh, the only like positive adult role model in her life. Yeah. And what his death, I think it crushed me. Oh God. Yeah. And being in bed, like crying. And I was like, Milo, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awful. Oh, I did not like that because yeah. It was... It was rough. And then he is like begging her for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to use her gift on him to relieve his pain, but she can't even conjure a positive memory because like just looking at him dying is stopping her ability to do so. Yeah. And it was just heart-wrenching, honestly. But then she uses that anger to kill Lord, was it Lord Mazine, the asshole who gets to help the duke yeah who gets to help the duke uh, abuse her um which was satisfying but she loses it too I oh she absolutely loses it like shit it's awesome it was amazing to watch her go ape shit but of course it's still within the scene of him dying and still like i'm sobbing but also happy but like i'm sobbing um it was like you wouldn't expect anything less after they just took away Victor, like, okay, he needs to die, but it yeah. never fully made up for it. Like, because you're, st- it was, yeah, it was so back to back because a lot of like the revenge, not that like, was it, huh, remind me, was it um, Mazine that killed Victor? No, he was just sitting off to the side. It was one of the rebels that killed Victor. Yeah. And so he just made a snide comment, basically. He made some snide comment about Victor dying, and she was not having it. I don't think there was any other way. Like, as a reader going through that experience with her, there was no other way to immediately release that grief Mm -hmm. than to have her just, like, hack into the asshole. Yeah. Like, there's no time for, like, revenge plotting or, like, mm-hmm. any of that. She was just, like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, like, permanently. Yeah. And just what I love 
from this first person psychological like stream of consciousness writing is that you get to like you're experiencing her trauma with her and you're exerting it as well like you're angry there's something cathartic about it yes you're feeling it like you're feeling your blood get hot and just like just want to tear limbs like yeah it feels only necessary that while you're with her in solitude listening to her think about all of her thoughts you're also in violence with her yeah you get that release yes as she's getting it even though it's not complete like she still gets knocked out because she's just completely deranged and then she wakes up a few days later she didn't get to go to his funeral which was heartbreaking again um it was just like living through those feelings all over again yeah um, but then the dagger just becomes this crutch almost for holding on to victor's memory for her yeah exactly especially because it becomes her only form of defense. So his job was to protect her first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And then she, well, they don't really fill in his role because the, it becomes so dangerous that like the queen calls for her to be called back to the capital. And so Hawk like gets together a team to take them. So they don't replace Victor, which I think is better. I don't know that I would have trusted anyone that they replaced Victor with. So in place of like that second night, they have the dagger, which she's proven in front of everybody that she can use perfectly fine. Right. So actually kind of going back to his death and as he's dying, part of the reason that like it's so frustrating to read is because he's begging her for forgiveness. And I spent most of the like well the rest of the first book trying to figure out why he wanted to be forgiven like what did he need to feel forgiven for but then as her and hawk get closer and she's discovering more of herself outside of this maiden identity i realized that like he didn't feel like he protected her as well as he could have like he protected her in a way that she needed to be protected as the maiden but not as poppy yeah. And he regretted that. And that hurt. That really hurt. It hurt so bad. I'm like, I'm trying not to tear up right now. Just thinking about it. Yeah. It's, that was such a rough scene. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So sex. How do we tie in? <laughs> we need like a segue. All right. So guys, let's talk about sex. Is that a good segue? Yeah, that's a good segue. <laughs> no, yeah. um, okay, well, okay. So now that Victor's dead, I guess we are kind of going plot wise. So now that Victor's dead. Right. And she's just got Hawk. It's kind of, it's definitely the turning point in her identity crisis because so Victor dies in this like attempted rebellion and she's forced to protect herself in front of the Duchess, Duchess Tierman, and in front of Lord Mazine. And none of them are supposed to know that she even knows how to use like a butter knife, let alone a full-on sword and dagger and all of that jazz after Victor's gone, because Victor's been trying to help her hide these parts of herself so she can survive in this environment. There's really no turning back. Like there's nothing to stop her. They know at that point. And she didn't die. Like she revealed parts of herself and they didn't crucify her. Right. And so one of our favorite ways that she was discovering herself was the most obvious one, which we've already talked, touched on, um, the sex. Yeah, the, one of the best ones was the I can help you fall asleep. Oh, so chapter 30, it's going <laughs> to live in my heart forever. So, so they're on the road. So far, I think it's, they're all of Hawk's creatures. Like, I don't, I think there's a few nights from it's a mix. It's a mix. So yeah. Kieran's there, but we haven't quite gotten fully introduced to him. Like, he's just kind of a side character, but he, mm -hmm. so Kieran's there. He and, hasn't been um, upgraded to season regular yet. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So he's, he's kind of off a few feet. I think it was like six or I think nine feet. It was like a specific number. 
Yeah, they're just guarding like the perimeter of their campsite, yeah. which is okay. not that big to begin with. No, and they're Hawk and Poppy are like cuddling, keeping warm. The and excuse keeping- being that she has nightmares and he's got to stop her in case she uh, attracts, what are they, Craven? Yeah, Craven, which are the, um, what are Craven? Craven are those who have been bit by Atlanteans. Um, they're kind of like little corrupted little goblins, but they're people that have been corrupted. So they get bit and then it turns into poison. Right. You either get bit by another craven or, as it turns out, an ascended, not an Atlantean. Okay. So she has, she has nightmares. And I think this is an example of a really good way of marrying the sexual relationship with the relationship relationship. In terms of, like, writing. In terms of writing and how, like, using the sex scene as a way forward, not just a distraction. So she's has undergone crazy trauma. She doesn't sleep because of nightmares. She also, I think, didn't, didn't they say, like, she couldn't fall asleep. So she was, like, scared of nightmares, but she was also, like, her mind's running. Like, there's... Yeah, of- like... That's why she was always wandering the city and why she eventually made her way to the Red Pearl because, like, she just couldn't sleep. She was, like, she would reach a point in the night where sometimes she just realized she wasn't going to fall asleep. It wasn't going to happen, so. He's, like, why aren't you asleep yet? And she's, like, and then she explains why. And then he's, like, I can help you sleep. And it was such a great first. You're giggling. (laughs) Like, schoolgirl. It was such a good, I guess we should say, second interaction because we've already had our first chapter scene this is like the fourth one though because we've got the first (laughs) the opening scene and then you've got when they kind of in the tree uglies well when they kind of bump uglies on the parapets during the craven attack on the rise oh yeah and then you've got in the trees during the night of um, the rebellion attack before the rebellion attack happened. And then you've got this scene. So, I mean, it's scattered throughout. Like the foreplay is, is very long. This is her first orgasm. Oh yeah. So he gets- Much her. better than my first. <laughs> so he just, and this is like perfect because she's, this is such a young adult thing too, because it's like, she's never had sex. She's only had the encounters with him. So it's like, a good like slow burn right like it's not just like okay like fingers inside like it's like we worked ourselves up to this point now and he's very conscious of where she's coming from yeah and he's very respectful of that and I like too that this scene really made me feel like I hadn't been touched in a while (laughs) same I don't know if it's just like lockdown life, but like I was very conscious of the fact that nobody's touched me in over a year. But it was like the way, because it's like, because he was like over her panties. Yeah. Was it, it wasn't um, explicit at all. Like it was very like sensual and like very, yes, very light and like very, I guess you could say rated G for a sex scene. Like it was very, yeah. It was, it was, this was the scene in my notes that I said made me feel like a teenager again. There was something exciting about it not being sex. Like, yeah. Cause you can feel that build up again. Yeah. And then that, she, like the, the anticipation of what else could happen. Exactly. And then she fell asleep. Yes, she did fell asleep. He was right. He was completely <laughs> right. That was a good one. And yeah. then just like the constant tension of like we're riding on a horse together because she didn't know how to ride a horse because mm-hmm. she's been so sheltered. <laughs> so he's she's just like in front of him, and you know how a lot of authors have like they fixate on like different body parts, like that's yeah. what they choose for him to like grab on all the time. So this one like Armin Trout uses hip. Like, not the waist, because a waist, like, a man can put his hand on a waist in a Jane Austen book, but... Yeah, Jane Victor Austen could have put his hand on her waist. Yeah, it's, it's very gentlemanly, but a hip is a, is a, is a bit lower. <laughs> a little more intimate. Yeah, a little more... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... 
And then I like the detail where she talks about him, like, he'll, like, rub his thumb in circles on her hip. Like, not sexually. Like, he's holding what is ostensibly, like, a rather, like, sensual part of her body. And he's just, like, mindlessly caressing her. It's very intimate and, like, special. It's not something that he has to be doing to, to, like, trick her. Like, being on the horse alone could have done that. And it's a detail that told me that he's not just doing this Mm. to con her. Right. Yeah. Because it is kind of apparent, like, that Hawk isn't who he says he is. Like, that reveal that he's going to be, spoiler alert, the dark one. Yeah. Is definitely anticipated. But I think Armin Trout's aware of that. And so she has to like navigate mm-hmm. Poppy's perception of Hawk and therefore like our understanding of him in a way that expresses that like we obviously know what's about to happen, but here's how he really is. Here's a little insight into like his actual person. You were saying too that it's you were like, is Poppy just like can't see it, but I think yeah. it is, is like she, she is picking up on it. And this is kind of what we were talking about earlier is that the way Armin Trout writes Poppy's perspective gives away information about other characters that Poppy's like starting to like click in, but not consciously. And so yeah, like we as can... a reader, it's almost like irony from a first person perspective. Yeah, we can see her hit those mental walls. We can see those pop up, those little like survival instincts that have kept her alive in the belly of the beast. Because there's lines where like she, there's actually, let me see. Okay, so there's this part in chapter 20. And so throughout the whole first book, she just kind of clearly doesn't know what she's supposed to do as the maiden. Mm -hmm. Like she knows what she's supposed to not do, which is like not speak not breathe too hard, not talk to people. Poppy had like not understood really what her role was as the maiden. And there's literally no information on the only other maiden in history that they know of um, or that they've created because she dishonored somehow and she was struck from their history. So they know she exists, but there's no name about her. There's no information about like who she was, when she lived. And so she goes to Duchess Tierman to try to get some of that information because she's, again, having thoughts about, like, am I the maiden? What does that mean? And Duchess Tierman tells her, basically, that the maiden had been corrupted by the Dark One, which at this point we don't know is Hawk. But then in Chapter 20, her and Hawk are talking, and she says something along the lines of, I didn't dare look at him. If I did, I feared I'd do something incredibly stupid something that the first maiden could have done that had made the Duchess feel that she was unworthy. So in this situation, she's comparing like herself to the old maiden and Hawk to the dark one. Ooh, yeah. So like on some level, she's aware that Hawk is somebody or that like- Or it's a foreshadowing of- Yeah, like it's like some kind of like, it's definitely foreshadowing. Yeah. But like in this comparison she's made for herself- He's like the dark one. Like I like, I like that Armin Trout's able to do that through Poppy's perspective, who will be the last person to find out. Like, yeah, yeah. Like even when she well, finds out, she's still is. the last one. She's somehow the last after herself, even. <laughs> so then there's a moment where she finds out. How does that go down? I remember being utterly confused because I did know that Hawk. I did know there was something more going on, but I didn't know he was going to turn into this like, and this is like tail end of the book, literally. And I'm like, are they gonna, are they gonna wrap this up? And I realized that Armin Trout's a, it it doesn't wrap and you, and she starts the next one leaving right where we left off and like, uh, so it was like the, literally the last chapter, maybe 10 pages or something. All of a sudden, Hawk is this person you don't recognize almost, like Castile. It's, it's funny because, like, 
like we talked about the very beginning, the very opening scene is drawn out over like six chapters. Right. Yeah. A lot of the action is drawn out over a couple of chapters. Yeah. Because you've kind of got like what happens and then Poppy winding down from what happened while other action is happening. But the ending stuff really happens very quickly. You've got one of the knights who was not part of the kidnapping plan who realizes what's happening and tries to get Poppy free, but in the scuffle dies. And Hawk doesn't really announce necessarily that he's the dark one. He's just standing there in the barn. They're surrounded by people who are all part of trying to kidnap Poppy. They're like referring to him as like your highness or your majesty and things because he's like the prince of the Atlanteans and she's still not putting it together. And I'm like, girl, (laughs) do I need to walk you over there? So that was just all so confusing. I think I like reread it because I was like, what is going on? It was very chaotic. And I think that that is indicative of what Poppy's going through. Like it's yes. very chaotic. It's very like, what's going on? There's, there's at that point, there's no way for her mental walls that she's used to putting up. Like there's no way for them to shield her from what's happening from like the breakdown of her current situation yeah because the person she trusted to protect her the people she's trusted to protect her some of them have died and uh, the others were not there to protect her right yeah they were there to do other things the who was the woven started with a j i want to say juniper but i don't think that's right no you're talking about the one like jerica Jeremy. Yes. Uh, so yeah. that little bastard. So that so this was really interesting because Jericho and his little gang of thugs like want to like kill her because she murdered one of their own or something. It's because Oh no, they they want to take her to the queen, so right? Yeah, because the original plan had been to use her as ransom. Right. But then, of course, Hawk fell in love, and so Castile couldn't give her away. Yes. So Jericho was going to head that up, but Castile hadn't come back yet. And so they were attacking her, whatever. Castile comes on the scene, goes apeshit, and, like, murders him. And he's a big guy. So she nearly dies, like... Yeah. She's on her deathbed and we find out like Atlantean blood is actually healing. It's not poison like the Ascended had convinced everybody. And so he heals her and makes her better. But in like the meantime of her getting better, Jericho and all of his conspirators had been like killed and then not posted. What's the word? She's like stuck up on the wall, like with a spear, like hanging from the wall. But Jericho, because he was the ringleader, was the only one still alive with an arrow in his throat, just like slowly suffocating. On the wall. On the wall, yeah. Yeah, so that so it turns fast. Yes. Like, a minute ago, he's fingering her to sleep. Now we're like <laughs> nailing people to the wall while we eat casually. And yeah. She's like, what is going on? And so what kind of freaked me out about it was that Castile was not there for her. Yeah. He has been I, in the past. And we lightly touched on this, like, over messaging, I think, because I was just like, I don't know. I don't, like, he just kind of got, and obviously, like, reading the next book, all of that kind of changed things. But at the time of reading it, I yeah. was like, this is what is going on? Because he's just kind of like, you know, you're going to be like my princess and da 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 da, like essentially like creating this new role for her. This, it's funny because the book just to... ends with him saying, so we're going to get married now. Yeah, exactly. That's the <laughs> and you're like, what? Yeah. And so like part of you is like, yay. And the other part of you is like, what? Like, because yeah. he hasn't been able to process anything that's happened. And so I think, it's funny it's funny because you're like is she like stupid or something because you kind of are in a way like 
and like not like why hasn't she figured this out yet why hasn't she like started this process of figure like of like processing all of this like earlier so that we could so that she wouldn't be in this situation like just for like the reader's selfish reasons so that we can just marry Castile yes forever absolutely if she doesn't want to I will um no, so I do agree that like he just kind of shuts off after she finds out the truth. But it's also because no like like she has um, no one. Like yeah. Like Victor just fucking died. Oh god, she yeah, don't remind left, me. She she just left her like home and her like friend, best friend, whatever. Cuz Tawny didn't go. Yeah, so she left all she knew behind to go with him and but he was scared hate him what he was convinced that she would hate him and that's the problem is like he's already convinced himself because the night before we find like there's the big reveal they actually finally have sex and let's see here yeah that yeah let's see so the very the like the very last thing that he says to her and this is when they're this when is they're before. done yeah this is before the reveal so they've had sex she's convinced that she's had sex with like the person that is only known as Hawk. And he asks her to promise him to not forget. And she's like, I, I'm not gonna forget this. And he's like, don't forget this is real. And whatever so happens, whatever happens tomorrow, whatever happens the next day, don't forget this. This was real, is along the lines. And she was like kind of confused, but also like she was also like in her like. She was in her head still, so she was just like, that's normal. That's what people say after She's in her post, yeah, she's in her post-orgasmic phase of like, well, I wonder what that means. Yeah, pretty much. She's just like so (laughs) jelly-brained. And so like, he's already showing regret. There's another line that he has where he, this is one of the lines that I had noted as like, come on, he's obviously not who he says he is because he tells her, you deserve so much more than what awaits you. Mm. And so from the very beginning, he's showing regret for his intent for being there. Like from the very, like, so from the very beginning of him even showing up at their palace as this knight with like shining accolades, he went with the intent of getting the maiden. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm, I'm convinced I'm of the, the pool of people who see this as he's not trying to ignore her or he's not like actively ignoring her because he thinks he's like better than her or anything. He's just giving her the space to navigate this new situation. Cause if he were to go in there and not leave her alone, she wouldn't even have the time or like the emotional space to deal with all of that. Well, and I was just kind of frustrated too, because she would like be asking questions and like get punished for it. Like it was just like Kieran's just like, oh, you have more questions. What do you expect? You just like took this girl. Yeah. And, like, and and Kieran, God bless him, because I like I liked Kieran more than I liked Castile for sure. I don't really like Kieran that much. He, he was really, but he's a brooder, and I like the brooder. <laughs> he's just like at the door, or he's just always around like when she happens to be like naked or something I don't know or like bathing or something and it's just like that there's there's like tension building there so then you're like what's going on as a reader of romance like you can tell when they're like opening a door yeah so like a possibility with like a person so I was just like with multiple people at the same time yeah so but I liked Kieran because he answered her questions and like talked with respect to her and was as direct as a quiet brooding personality could be but Castile was just like never really around and then it was getting almost kind of borderline like I don't know there's that scene where they're in the library all three of them because like she can't be left alone (laughs) yeah well because somebody's gonna make another attempt on her life yeah (laughs) and Castile comes in and like takes her into the pantry 
and like oh yeah when they're walking they get all like hot and heavy in there and it's like you're not going to answer any questions but you're like ready to like you know I was there was just a little like I think just the timing of things was a little off where I was just kind of like I get it like you you're not ready to like bear everything right now Mm -hmm. but like and you need like sexual tension but like I felt like that was a area where I felt like it could have been done better where like you can use the sexual tension as a tension in their relationship yeah but it didn't feel like that was where it was directed does that make sense like it was kind of directed as like a filler for us not having answers exactly um, where it's, it's also of, yeah. like when he's trying to replan his whole plan like he announces that he's the dark one she's thrown in the cells which doesn't last long because when she's in the cells is when she almost dies. And so he kind of admits that like seeing her almost die was a bigger turning point for him and his feelings around the situation because he didn't want to lose her. And so, yeah, I feel like he's also like, how do I replan this in a way that'll make my people happy and also help me keep her? And so she's asking all these questions, but he can't answer them because he doesn't know. Right. But he could have involved her in the decision-making. He could have opened up what the world was to her. Like, oh, I come from this. This is what my family needs. This was the plan. Like, I love you and I want to like be with you. How can we make this work? And instead he almost doesn't quite treat her as a pawn still but almost where he's just like, I'll ask her once I have it figured out, but it's like, she's not allowed to have like any agency in like the decision-making, which kind of frustrated me. But I also, he was. It's also a protective measure because where is she going to go? The only places that she knows is the like ascended. I know. Yeah. She is. Or she, he but that's is. That's also oh. what Victor would have done, right? That's also what Victor did. What else is she going to do? I am not going to give her a choice because where, where else is she going to go? Yeah. You know, like, I feel like at least give her the choice. And eventually he does, but he stumbles with it. And they never really yeah. address that. And I guess that he, he, he does get really, really possessive of her. Yeah. Um, which I enjoy that. Yeah. I um, No, everyone loves a little like possession. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love a good exorcism? Yeah. Um, no, so he gets a little possessive of her, but he does, like, he's pretty open about, like, his family, the truth about, like, Atlantia. Yeah. Um, it's just when it comes to the actual plan that he's not clear on. And that's because his plan ends up being, I know you hate me, even though she doesn't hate him. She's convinced she hates him, but she, like, so clearly doesn't. Yeah. Um, He's like, I know you hate me, but now we have to get married. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and so this is one thing that I don't like. And this is just because I don't like this period is that his idea of a proposal is to announce it in front of a room full of people. And like very public proposals like that are the bane of my existence. I literally refuse I, if somebody were to do a proposal like that to me, I would do what she did and oh, look him in the eye and tell him, are you insane? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just, it's such a manipulative tactic, but that's because it was the only plan, the quote unquote only plan. It's the same trope as like, there's only one bed. Yeah. Or there's only one room in the inn. Yeah. The only plan that they could possibly do is to get married. And that's what felt very outlander to me. <laughs> that was another thing I said was like, oh, it reminds me of Hammy's Tale. It reminds me of Outlander. And that's why, because, well, we have to get married to, to, for you to be protected. Yeah. Like, okay. I will say that, like, I won't give too much away, but it, Castile makes up for his miscomings. Yeah. The last book in the next book. I definitely am on the same page with him but there's a real rough area where I think he's struggling. And I, and I believe that I believe that he's struggling and that's why he's like, doesn't feel very present Mm -hmm. with Poppy. But 
but to me, it was never reconciled. It yeah. was never discussed. Armin Trout never like hash that out. Like if actions very fast. If someone to ignore me in like a really chaotic shift in my like life, and they were the only person I had, and they loved me, like they would have worked with me on that, and that wasn't yeah. very well. I guess I can kind of accept that maybe it was a a rushed ending. Well, she also like, spends most of the first it. book like expressing a lot of prejudice towards Atlanteans and towards Wolven. And so he's probably going into this thinking the second she finds out what I am, she's going to hate me because she hates all Atlanteans. And so again, not, like not to like spoil too much from the next episode, but part of book two is also her just like breaking down her own learned prejudices against his people. Yeah. Because she realizes how much of it is lies. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I guess like an overall thing that's present now that we've talked through the whole book I want to pop back to that kind of like the lack of future-mindedness that she has so for me that reminded me of Wollstonecraft mm-hmm. she's got her book uh, Vindication of the Rights of Women and the the main point of that book is that if we give people if we give women more power when it comes to their own agency beyond that which they get from like marriage then what we have is smarter women because they don't have to constantly be present-minded so she goes like present-mindedness versus future-mindedness like being able to make long-term decisions yeah and so which we've kind of talked about a little bit here with poppy is like she does not think ahead we see like these mental walls that she puts up and that she is constantly like unaware of whenever she's right on the verge of an answer but she just anytime she tries to think about her ascension or moving to the next step she doesn't think any much further like the fact that she waited until she was 18 and it must have been like two-thirds of the way through the book when she asked Duchess Tierman about the previous maiden shows just how much even though like it's a present thought for her she has not taken any action in pursuing the answers to those questions because she's scared because she does not know what it means for her survival and so like her survival is very much tied to her ability to be conscious in the present moment Mm -hmm. because you have like the psychological aspect of her being manipulated into this maiden which we find out is a total farce and then you've got the literal physical abuse that she undergoes with uh duke tierman which is both of which are like the long-term constant trauma that she's experiencing, the kind of trauma that you like grow accustomed to. Like people in abusive relationships, they're not always the physical side kind of things, right? And so you grow accustomed to that kind of constant state of fear to the point where your threshold is so much different that you don't recognize it. Yeah. And so there is, like we talk about the beginning of the book is really slow paced and then the ending all happens that all that action happens really fast. And so it's almost like the pacing of the book itself is tied into her internal experience. Yeah. Like so much of her experience, she's not self-aware, but she's still so aggressively internal. Mm. She's not engaging with the world around her. And so everything else happens so much slower because there's so much more for her to take in. Yeah, I agree. I think that was the chaos, the fast pace, the just the lack of direction really with where the plot's going. Like I, yeah. you're in the same palace. I don't think it's a palace. It's like an inn that they're in at the end. Oh yeah. Like in that small town. Yeah, it's some kind of inn. And you're there for a minute like you're there for a bit and yet all of these things happen and it does and it just kind of feels muddied and like the process of events the way Armand Trout kind of wrote it was very much with the poppies in mind and I think that that mm-hmm. could have been like kind of what you're talking about like like our reading experience was very much like directly tied into her inner monologue like her emotional experience during those situations and maybe maybe she didn't want Cass Steele to be there for her because she was angry at him yeah 
I mean, that's, that's also possible. That's a possibility, I guess. Because at first she's very convinced that she hates him. And then it turns into she's convinced that she has to hate him. Right. Because being the dark one, he was inadvertently responsible for Victor's death. And that's something that she spends a lot of time working through. Right. And then she was realizing that he's also responsible for the guard who died very early on. What's his name? Rylan. So the guard who's like position he takes, he was directly responsible for Rylan's death because he needed to get that position. Right. There's, yeah, there's a lot of death, like even Jericho. Yes, he tried to murder her, but she kind of entered this new world that was really, really harsh. And he will stop at nothing, right? To protect her and make sure no one harms her. And if they, even if he catches a whiff of it, they'll be nailed to the wall as well. And so it was very like, yeah, very literally harsh, uh, violent world that was revolving around Castile that now she's a part of and she doesn't like really know how to break it down (laughs) yeah and the thing is it's not like she's averse to violence she is a violent character and I love that about her I absolutely love that about her I mean I when I was reading through it I kept telling you how much and like texting how much I loved how violent she was but in terms of like the life that she's led it's been pretty sheltered She's had to seek out violence. It hasn't really ever come to her until recently in the book, in her life. But the world, so what's this? Is it Solace? Solace, how you say their country? No, it's S-O-L-I-S. It's Solace. Solace, okay. Which sounds eerily close to Solace. Yeah. Um, okay, so the country that she's from, uh, Solace, is a violent one. She just hasn't been privy to those things so like we find out that the ascended are actually just kind of like these like soulless people vampires kind of that eat the third and fourth children of every family they don't have us like any emotion she's never felt any emotion from them and so she always thought it was because they were ascended but when she starts to feel the emotions of others like people like other beings like Atlanteans and Wolven she realizes that they might just not have anything worth feeling that she like anything to detect and they're the reason that the craven exists because it's when you get bit by an ascended and you don't die that you turn into a craven and so the violence has always been around her she just hasn't seen it up front and up close like that yeah and I think it was like just a really big wake-up call that like okay this is the real world it needs to get this violent first (laughs) yes you know well I think we pretty much covered the book everything we really wanted to talk about without spoiling book two too much yeah hopefully we didn't spoil book two too much sometimes I spoil and I don't realize I am (laughs) you're like stop talking (laughs) so how Melissa would you rate or How did you like the book overall? Would you recommend it? I have been recommending it to everyone I've talked to for the last like three weeks. So I would have to say yes. Uh, It is one of the better YAs, YA series that I've read in my, like obviously in my opinion. I like that Castile is this like tall, dark, mysterious figure, but he's still humanized a lot like we get I get a taste of like the old the old male love interests that I used to read about when I was younger but this time they're not this disgustingly flat character yeah like he is a complex character and I really enjoyed that it was a nice jump back into reading for me yeah absolutely so I rate this high on my list well you rate it high too because he calls her princess shut up (laughs) (laughs) this was the book that I mentioned that about yes so we were talking about pet names and like romances and stuff and you said I what did you say I think I probably said something along the lines of I hate myself but I love when he calls her princess especially because it starts out with him like teasing her Uh uh-huh 
And I really love that. I love a good like flirtatious tease. It's the only way I know how to flirt. And then during some of this, like the intimate interactions, he uses it and she doesn't really fight it. Yeah. Like she fights it when they say it in like in real life. Yeah. But then he starts calling her that in in bed a couple of times and she's into it and I'm into it. (laughs) It becomes endearing. Yes. Yeah. Especially because now they're going to get married. She's yeah. literally going to be a princess. Literally. Yeah. yeah. I did not miss the irony in that. Yes. Um, um, what about you? I, I genuinely liked it. It was a bit of a... I was reading like Sarah J. Mass for a big minute there. And then like had to kind of get into the zone of like first person and Armin Trout's writing, which is a bit more... I don't want to say cryptic, but it you have to read between the lines a bit more, I think, than in other books. Like, there's just a lot going on, um, I think, in, like, interactions. I've been reading a lot of new adults, so it's, like, everyone's had sexual partners and stuff. So it was, like, kind of fun to, like, go back into, like, teenage mode, where we're just, yeah. gonna, like, you're just gonna, like, rub over the underwear, like. And it's fun, because, like, <laughs> Poppy's a grown woman. So yeah. she has grown woman thoughts and opinions, but then when it gets to the sexual element, you're a kid again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so nice. So the funny thing is I've read a lot of like YA because and I think I mentioned this in the last episode. I read, I was a big reader when I was younger, huge reader, like escaping her life status, reading five books a week kind of reader. And so jumping into this kind of like, this is definitely like new adult young adult borderline because he's like so much more fleshed out it felt like an adult version crush of the ones that I would get on the books when I was younger like I feel like I like him like as a person not just as this kind of like (laughs) two-dimensional book character (laughs) I think I like him as a person (laughs) yeah and so like there's there was this point when I was like man I need a man like that and then I had to just kind of sit there and realize that I was talking about a fictional character which I realized (laughs) to like other people in this community is a totally normal thing but I had forgotten what that felt like (laughs) that was a fun revelation for me yeah again is this just because I haven't been touched in over a year Perhaps. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are super excited to like get into the next book. Next week, we will be talking about a king, the kingdom of flesh, a kingdom of flesh and fire. So go read it. Go read it now, and then we will talk about it next week. Um, we also want to hear about what your experience was reading it what you agree with, what you don't agree with, what you thought about From Blood and Ash. You can, what you wish we'd talked about. Wish we talked about that we didn't. Tag us on Instagram, comment, tell us your experiences. And uh, we just love to like talk about it. So, so our Instagram is at inbedwithbooks underscore. So we'll see you there. Join us next week. Happy reading. Bye. tilted his head to the side. What does it feel like? Air hitched in my throat. What? I just love this scene. I'm so... <laughs> I thought like I had like a booger or something and you're like, no, no, no I was like, you were, you were entranced by the read. Getting into it. I'll start again. That's a good first draft. Okay. <clears throat>